Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Vanguard family. (laughs) All you beautiful people. Just having Anita here is just a sign of God's faithfulness. We have been praying for so long for um, something, and God has brought us Chapel Hills Preschool. So we are so blessed to have her and her preschool moving in. Um, Welcome, everyone. So glad you're here this morning. It's an honor to be here. I get to talk about two very godly people today, but they're unusual suspects. Aren't we all unusual suspects? I mean, isn't it just mind-boggling that God uses any of us? Uh, but when this first came up at the, for the teaching team, we got free reign over who we got to pick to speak on for the unusual suspects. I knew immediately who I was going to talk about, which is rare for me. I can tend to be a little indecisive. But this woman was already on my radar, and the reason is, is because of a life-changing experience that happened last summer for me. Um, Last summer, I spoke in Theater 7, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and then Matt and I immediately got in the car and drove to DIA to get on a plane. I wish that was happening today. It's not. But (laughs) but, um, if you know a little bit about my story, I worked for Delta Airlines for 10 years, and it was hard. I had to get up at nine, or sorry, 3 a.m. every day to be at work at 4 a.m. So, but what it gave me and our family is that we fly for free now. So it was costly, but it has a great um, benefit. And we use that sometimes, and we get to go places that we never normally would be able to go because of that. God is so good. So we flew off to Europe last summer, and on the way back, We came back through Amsterdam, and because it's a Delta hub in Europe, so it's easy to get in and out of usually. And when we were going to Amsterdam, I thought to myself, I wonder how far away Corey Ten Boom's house is. Y'all know who Corey Ten Boom is? Um, She wrote an amazing book. It's actually my favorite book of all time, other than the Bible. I've read this book more than I've read any other book, and um, it's called The Hiding Place. If you get a chance to read this book, do. It's life-changing. So I Googled it, how far away, and sure enough, it was only a 20-minute train ride from Amsterdam to Harlem where her house was. And I thought, I really want to go see this. And Matt agreed, so um, I looked online, and it's a museum now. But you can't just go through this museum. You have to make reservations Well, God had held two reservations for us, and I looked further on just out of curiosity, and for the next two weeks, there wasn't a single reservation available, so I just felt so blessed. And when I stood in that house um, where God had moved in such a mighty way, um, it was life-changing for me. But um, I'll tell you a little bit about the story, and see, this is the thing, is that the woman I'm going to talk about today is Rahab. Well, Rahab influenced the Ten Boom family. 
And in turn, the Ten Boom family influenced me, and I'm sure many, many others. And this is what our faith does. It multiplies, right? We get inspired by the faith of others, and then it multiplies. There's a ripple effect that happens. Well, the Ten Boom family, um, at the beginning of The Hiding Place, when the book starts, um, they're having a celebration of this house, and they named their house. It was named the Behe. And this house had been a house of prayer and Bible study for 100 years at this point. The father, who at the beginning of World War II was in, in his early 80s, and he was living there with two of his daughters who were in their 50s, Corey and Betsy. His name was Casper. And he was a watchmaker. The bottom of the house was his watch shop, and then the family lived above the house. And they had some really difficult decisions to make. They had lived a quiet life. He was a dad, raised his family, was a father, was a husband. And they just were living a quiet life until World War II hit. And they loved God, and they loved God's chosen people, the Jews, so they, got, they started to see all that was happening to the Jews, and they had a decision to make. Are we going to step up and do something, or are we going to shrink back and be passive? And they decided that we have to do something. We can't just let this happen around us. And it was a really hard decision to make because a lot was on the line. And they wanted to also honor God in that decision. And as they were wrestling through these things, the concept of Rahab came up, and they said, Rahab lied. Do you remember the story about Rahab? I think, you know, the things that stand out are she was a prostitute, she lied, and she helped the spies. Those are the things, I think, that stick out about her story. But they said, Rahab lied. And Casper Ten Boom quoted 1 Peter 2.17 that says, Fear God and honor the king. And they realized that fearing God sometimes means that you can't honor the king. In an ideal situation, we do both, right? We fear God and we honor the king. But in this case, there was an evil regime that had taken over Holland. The Nazis invaded in 1940. So they had to choose, I'm going to fear God, and that's going to mean that I'm going to have to go against what the government is telling me. And so they started hiding Jews in their home. They built a wall um, up in the, the highest bedroom, um, kind of like Aunt, the Anne Frank house. It's very similar. Um, they became a pivotal point of the Dutch underground and the resistance against the Nazis. And they ended up, they ended up saving hundreds of Jews' lives by doing this. But they were finally found out. They were arrested. And... Um, I was just blown away by Casper Ten Boom because, I mean, can you imagine? You're 82 years old, and he gets, um, he's being arrested, and they say to him, you know what, old man, we don't want to arrest you. Go back, sleep in your bed tonight. You just have to promise us one thing. If you cannot help any more Jews, and this man of courage looked them boldly in the eye and said, if one more Jew comes to my house... I'm going to help them. And they took him away. And he only lasted 10 days in prison. But we're going to come back to this story and wrap it up. But who was this woman, Rahab, that influenced this family? 
as I started to delve into her life more, what I found was this absolutely fascinating woman. Her story starts in Joshua chapter 2. So she's in the Old Testament, but she also shows up three more times in the Bible. So this liar, this prostitute, was so influential that God not only told her story in the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 2, but she shows up three more times, three times in the New Testament. So who is this woman? Let's, let's dive in and learn more about her. So let me um, give you some background in what's happening in Joshua chapter 2. Um, Moses has died. Um, God is saying, okay, it's time. I'm giving you the promised land. Go. Be bold and courageous. I'm going with you. The new leader is Joshua. And so Joshua says, okay, yes, let's go. But I want to get eyes on. I want to get eyes on the land. They have their target on Jericho. So I'm going to get eyes on the land, but particularly Jericho. So they go, and the spies enter, and they come to a woman's house named Rahab for lodging. And she lets them in. And then the king gets wind of the fact that these spies have arrived in their Jericho's house. So he uh, sends his men to go arrest these spies. And Rahab, she's very prudent. She's already hidden them on the roof. And they come to her house, and they say, okay, we know they're here. We're going to take them away. And she says, actually, they were here, but they've left already. And they went that way. And they believe her. And so they take off after them to go arrest them. Meanwhile, they're on the roof. So let's catch up here in uh, Joshua 2, starting in verse 8. And it says, but the men lay down. But before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that you and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God." in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So she says, we've heard of you. We heard what you did at the Red Sea. We heard of what your God did at the Red Sea. We heard what your God did to the kings of the Amorites. But then she makes a statement of belief. She says, for the Lord your God, he is God, in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Okay, verse 12, let's continue on. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord, as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then the Lord gives, when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. So, 
Let's do a recap. Um, what she ends up doing, they tell her to tie a scarlet cord into her window, and then when they come back to attack, um, they're going to save her, okay? And that's what they end up doing. Her family and her are saved. So who is this Rahab? What do we know about her? She was a prostitute. She was um, from Jericho, which was in Canaan. So she was a Canaanite. She was a member of a nation marked for God for judgment and a hated enemy of Israel. She hears of what God has done, and she believes that he is the God. So what does she do? She protects the spies, and she lies about it, right? Okay, that's the story. That's the basis of what we know about her. But there's more. So the second time Rahab shows up in God's word is in Matthew chapter 1. And this just blows me away. Matthew begins his gospel account of Jesus by starting with a genealogy. And he does this to establish the royal bloodline of Jesus, the Messiah. Here's Matthew 1.5. It says, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. So we're getting to see a little piece of the genealogy of Jesus. Now, what is fascinating about this is that Ruth and Rahab, women, are included in this genealogy because this is not how the Jews did things. Lineage was traced by the man as the head of the family. It just wasn't done that women would show up in a genealogy like this. So, and it's not just those two. Five women total show up in Matthew's genealogy. We have Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, who isn't even named by name. She's, she's listed as the wife of Uriah and Mary. So it's not just fascinating that women show up at all, but that these women are listed in, in Matthew's genealogy of the Messiah. So why? Why? Let's talk about some of these, um, these women and their stories. They're all outsiders. Anyone ever feel like an outsider? Can anyone relate to that? <laughs> yes. Um, Tamar was a widow. Do you remember her story? She pretended to be a prostitute to fool Judah, her father-in-law, into impregnating her. She'd been married to two of his sons who were both evil men. They had both died under God's judgment and she fooled him into impregnating her. So she pretended to be a prostitute. We have Rahab, who actually was a prostitute, who was a Canaanite and a Gentile. I mean, how strange that Gentiles would show up in the lineage of Jesus, isn't it? And then Ruth. Ruth was also a widow. Ruth was a Moabite and a Gentile as well. And what we found out from um, above the, the verse in Matthew 1.5 is that Rahab actually becomes a mother and she 
marries and, and has a son, and his name is Boaz. Do you remember who Boaz is? So Boaz is a very godly man, right? So the Israelites rescue Rahab. They take her um, with them, and she marries and has a son named Boaz. And he marries a woman named Ruth. So Rahab is Ruth's mother-in-law. She's the second mother-in-law, right? The first one is Naomi. So, but Ruth is a Moabite and a Gentile. And then David is listed, and he's very significant in the lineage of Jesus because he's the one that establishes Jesus' royal bloodline. But the inclusion of Bathsheba takes away any pedestal that we would be tempted to put David on. And the fact that Uriah's name is mentioned reminds us of David's sin. And all of these people's lives, what they do is they point, point to the one. They point to the one who redeems sin. They point to God's grace. They point to his mercy. That's why all these people are included. And then Mary, she's just a humble teenager, right? She's a nobody who God makes a somebody. So these, um, so we have these women, which is fascinating. And why women at all? Why would Matthew go against custom and include women in his genealogy? I would argue that it's because God values women and God wants to honor women. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you to the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Showing honor to the women. Uh, Pastor John Ellsbury officiated at our oldest son's wedding, and he quoted this verse. And my brother was in the room who used to follow Jesus but no longer does, and he said when this verse was quoted, he almost got up and left. He was so offended that the Bible would tell, call women weaker vessels. And then he ended up posting on his Facebook page um, a story about Camilla Harris's husband, how he quit his job to move to Washington, D.C. to support her in her um, new vice presidency which is great. I mean, if that's what they decide as a married couple and, and him as the head of the house, that's wonderful. But I felt hurt that my brother would do that, and I, I also felt very misunderstood. And not just me being misunderstood, but my God being misunderstood. Because God's intent with this verse is not to call just women weaker. The truth is that we are weaker in certain ways. Have you guys seen my husband? He's 6'5", 235, I think. You know, if he wanted to hold me down and restrain me, he could. If he wanted to hurt me, he could. And so God is saying, and that's what men have done throughout the years, right? They have oppressed women. Some evil men have done this. Used their power in evil ways against women. God is saying, don't do that. He's saying, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. The God of Christianity honors women. Um, Matt and I were in Vegas a few years ago, and we were in the lobby, and it was hot. It was like July in Vegas. 
And um, this woman came into the lobby who was wearing a burqa from head to toe. And she just had two little eye holes. And I was looking at her just amazed. And you could only see two um, eyelashes, long eyelashes coming out of those holes. You could not see another little piece of skin. And it was just a reminder, like, our God honors women. And, I just, and her husband was next to her wearing a T-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops. And I thought, wow, I've never seen something so oppressive in my entire life. And then you think about other religions where, you know, men can marry as many wives as they want, you know, 12-year-old girls, polygamy, all that. That's not the God of Christianity. He honors women. So Rahab shows up in the lineage of Jesus. I mean, what an incredible honor, right? That is amazing to me. But that's not it. She shows up again, and Rahab actually makes the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had been given a friend, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So once again, isn't it just crazy and strange that a prostitute, a liar, a Canaanite, a Gentile would become a distinguished Bible character? But she didn't do it in her own strength. It says, by faith, Rahab. By faith, Jenny. By faith, Candace, by faith, Sierra, this is how we make an impact. We don't do it in our own power. We do it by faith. So who in the room would like to be in the Hall of Fame of Faith? Wouldn't that be pretty cool? You know, we're... We're too late in history to be in Hebrews chapter 11, but I just wonder, you know, all the things that God has prepared for us in heaven. Like, what if there's a hall of fame of faith up there? Like, with a hallways of people's pictures? I don't know. I don't know, like a high school, <laughs> like a grandiose high school. The thought occurred to me, you know, if I want to be a woman of great faith, then that probably means that my faith is going to be tested greatly. It's just part of it, right? First Peter 1, 6 through 7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Anyone relate to that? Anyone being grieved by various trials? trials? So that, why? Why do we have to go through various trials? So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So our faith has to be tested to be proven pure. And when it does, it's more precious than gold. That's what the Lord is telling us. More precious than gold. And we all think that we're further along than we really are, right? I remember Peter, I'll never deny you, Jesus, never. And then what does he do just a short time later? He denies him three times. God has to show us where we are, and God gives us opportunity to prove our faith. And what happens when it is proven? Not only is it more precious than gold, 
but it results in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We all want that, right? We all want to give the Lord praise, honor, and glory. This is how. God gives us opportunity. Rahab's faith tested pure. She believed, and her faith was tested pure. So the last time Rahab shows up is in James chapter 2. We're not even done with her. Here she comes again. And I want to start back in, uh, she shows up in 2.25, but I want to go back into uh, verse 20 just to give context. So James 2.20 says, You foolish person, do you not want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was it not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Why did Abraham put Isaac on the altar? Why? Does it make any sense? I mean, Isaac was the um, promised son, the one that they'd been waiting for. The Lord had promised him, your, your descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky. He's like, but Lord, I need one. I need one to start. And God made him wait for years and years and years. So he finally came. And then what does God tell him to do? Go take this son and go put him on the altar and sacrifice him. It makes no sense. So why did Abraham do that? One reason. Because God told him to. That's it. Radical obedience. And our God is a radical God. He calls us to radical faith. And he calls us to things that make no sense. And some of those things are good. good. You know, one of the songs... Um, said something about um, ignoring miracles or we, we talk ourselves out of the miracles God wants to do and we talk ourselves out of the radical acts of faith that feel like jumping off a cliff with no parachute. We talk ourselves out of having all that God wants for us with common sense. And God does not work within the realm of our common sense. He doesn't. Radical faith. That's what Abraham did and had. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God. We can believe, but God wants us to prove our belief by action. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Who wants to be God's friend? I mean, what, what an honor, right? So here's how you become God's friend. God, you trust God, you believe God, and then you obey God. And when you obey God, he entrusts you with his business. And trust is built along the way on this journey, right? We trust God more along the way And as we follow through in obedience, God starts trusting us along the way. And we become God's friend, like Abraham. 
and he was called God's friend, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even, here she is, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I love that word even. Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous? Do not let the enemy lie to you. I had a woman come up to me between services and she just said, I feel, I just, it's so hard for me to believe that God wants to use me, that God can use me. That's the enemy's greatest lie. Sit down, shut up, be quiet, stay in the shadows. God can't use you. You're too broken. You're too messed up. It's a lie. It says right here, was not even Rahab, was not even Jenny considered righteous, not because of me, because of God. God wants to do these things through us. Don't let the enemy lie to you and hold you down. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I used to think that deeds here in James chapter 2 meant good deeds. Like, that's what we do, right? We're Christians. We do good deeds. But it's not the deeds that I think are good. It doesn't matter what I think. What I know now is that the deeds spoken of here, these good deeds, is actually just simple obedience to God because he's the boss. He gets to decide what is good, not me. And this is ultimately what we're going to get judged on. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. When we stand before Jesus, we get to be judged on our obedience to him, what, what deeds we have done through him, by faith, Rahab, through him. Verse 22 says, faith and action work together. So not only do the good deeds I think are right to do not matter, but God's not impressed with good deeds done by mankind apart from him either. So the deeds that we do, faith and action work together. So in conclusion, I just want to talk a little bit more about these two people. I hope that these stories of Rahab and Casper Tenboom have encouraged you um, to go live out your faith. Um, Casper Tenboom was an unusual suspect. He was a businessman. He loved God. He loved people. He taught his family to love God and love people. He loved God's word. He fixed clocks. He was a husband. He had four children. He was asked to be very bold and courageous at a pivotal time in history. And um, after standing there in the Behe, Matt and I left, and 
I was just overcome with emotion to be in this place where God had moved in such a mighty way. And I could not stop crying. And we went to dinner and Matt was like looking around like, we're in a public place, you've got to stop. People are looking at you. And I'm like, I can't. And I'm not a crier. So it was just like I was overcome with emotion. And Casper Tenboom put his life on the line for other people. And I just imagined him laying. So he got sent to the hospital. He was in prison and he died in a corridor of a hospital. He didn't, he was in the hallway. He didn't even make it to a room and he died alone. And um, they threw his body into an unmarked grave. And I just thought this honorable man, this man of God died a very dishonorable death. But it's like our Lord Jesus, right? He died a very dishonorable death. He died a criminal's death. Casper Ten Boom died a criminal's death. And I just thought, you know, he didn't know. He didn't know. He, he didn't know. There were still... There were still Jews hiding in that room, and this room is tiny. It's like a little closet um, for days after um, the family got taken away. So I'm sure that they were on his mind praying for them. He didn't know that they all escaped. He didn't know that they all lived. He didn't know that one of his daughters was going to survive a, a concentration camp and go on to have a worldwide ministry. He didn't know. He didn't know that his home would one day become a museum. He didn't know that almost a hundred years later, that that house was still proclaim the name of Jesus. I bought a, a bunch of books after in the because they have a bookstore down there now where the watch shop used to be, and the bag they gave me said, Jesus is Victor. And we walked around Harlem with that bag and we took it back to Amsterdam. That house was still proclaiming the light and the hope in Jesus. And sometimes it feels like evil wins, right? I know that in my own life, sometimes it feels like evil wins. But Jesus is Victor. Jesus is Victor. And Rahab didn't know, right? She didn't know that the, the, the spies were going to come back and rescue her. She trusted God. She didn't trust in them. But they did come back. And they did save her and her family. And they took them with them. She didn't know that she was going to get married and have a son. She didn't know that she would be in the lineage of Jesus. She didn't know that there was going to be a thing called the Bible and she would show up in it four times. Crazy. Just like we don't know. You don't know what your faith, you don't know the ripple effect your faith is going to have. You don't know the way God is going to move in your life and in the lives of others simply because of trusting him simply because of your radical acts of obedience. You do not know. But even Rahab, 
God can do mighty things through one willing, obedient person. Let's pray, Vanguard. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.